sometimes we mentor people that we look like and there's no one that looks like you, it's harder to get in. And so I think just generally with a smaller percentage of women in the industry, like women VC-backed entrepreneurs, I think it's it's harder to find people that are willing to, you know, that are willing and able to invest in you deeply just because there's a smaller pool. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. All right, everyone, we have a treat of an episode for you today. Our first guest from the VC world. And there's been a lot of moves in the VC space, a lot of interest in retail tech and even in retail brands. So I was very excited to sit down with Rachel West, who is a principal at RevTech Ventures. And they actually sit at this really fascinating intersection of retail brands and tech brands. They kind of work with both, but they take a very pointed and strategic approach to um, determining who they provide funding and support too. They even have some great work happening with women founded and women run businesses. And Rachel was the ideal person to chat with because she runs that new fund. So we talked about everything from retail trends to the state of the VC and tech markets to what trends she thinks will be key for retailers moving forward. So listen in. It's a great conversation and and definitely a new fresh perspective for us. So I think you're going to find this very entertaining. Rachel, thanks so much for taking the time. Great to have you on the show. Likewise. Thanks for having me. So let's start with a little bit about you. Um, You have a rich experience in the world of digital transformation and marketing tech. And um, as someone who got thrown into the world of retail, but didn't quite expect to to go that route. Um, I'd love to hear how, how you kind of ended up in, in these worlds and you know, what, what path brought you to where you are today? Yeah. So I would say that I had just as certain of a path. I was very <laughs> confident I was going to become a surgeon, which as you know, is very similar to retail tech, but was actually at a hospital system doing an internship where they're trying to groom future physicians for hospital leadership. And they ended up having a digital innovation group there and asked me to extend my internship with them. And that was my first foray into tech. Fast forward and uh, decided not to apply to med school after finishing everything and taking my MCAT and actually do consulting thanks to the influence of those really awesome people. And so through that process, ended up at a firm called Credera where I focused on marketing technology and digital transformations. So that was really my first foray. Through that experience, I think consulting gives you a really great framework for breaking down problems into their component parts. But I really missed getting to actually help execute the solution. And so, you know, my favorite thing in school had been scaling a nutrition program for kids in low-income areas and just missed that entrepreneurial spirit. So would help just entrepreneurs on the side as much as I could on nights and weekends and ended up leading the SoGal Foundation for Dallas, which is responsible for bridging the diversity gap in both founders and funders. So then through that, I met David, who's managing director at RevTech and was actually going to pitch him on investing in a company I was thinking about joining 
but turns out he was going to pitch me on rough tech and you know, he won. So here I am. And that's how my experience developed. So very intentional as, as yours was as well, Alicia. Yeah, no, definitely a fascinating path, but I, I can see how it organically ended up that way, right? I mean, digital transformation is something that impacts all industries. So it's definitely interesting to see how you're able to go from medicine to retail tech. And you're based in Austin, which obviously is a huge hotspot for up and coming tech companies, you know, really innovative businesses, and I'm sure is constantly in- inspiring you as someone who is so centered in that consultative mindset, right? Like you have a certain way of looking at markets and problems, which I'm sure we'll get into in in a little bit. But I want to talk about Austin, kind of like what's happening in that scene now, what opportunities are maybe bubbling up there? Because obviously I know Austin from pre-pandemic times. I don't know if it's a different world right now or, or what kind of shifts have been happening down there. But I mean, can you kind of give us a breakdown of what exciting things maybe developing in the area? Yeah, happy to. So I actually relocated to Austin back in February. So I took part in the mass migration to Austin as a lot of people from California did as well, but moving distance was a little bit shorter. But I think it's a really great time, honestly, to be in venture there. I think it's booming. At the same time, Austin definitely has its own flavor. It's a very collaborative community which I was honestly surprised how welcoming everyone was and really grateful at the same time. And I also think that you see entrepreneurs in Texas, I feel like historically capital has been a little bit more scarce than in some other major funding areas. And so because of that, it forces entrepreneurs to be a little bit more capital efficient as well. And I mean, recently valuations are booming, but before that, I think You know, in Austin, you have a little bit of a different kind of entrepreneur than you see in other regions, which I personally love. And so I think you have an ecosystem of a lot of down-to-earth people for the industry. And then, you know, combine that with just a ton of growth and mass movement into Austin, I think we're just going to see that continue. That's great. And you shared a little bit about how you ended up at RevTech, which I love a good backstory like that. And now you're a principal and you lead the early stage investment team there. What does the day-to-day look like for you in RevTech? And can you share a little bit about RevTech's sweet spot? Because I love that your firm is almost at the intersection of the retail and the tech worlds. And like we're seeing those worlds slowly start to collide, right? So I mean, what does that look like in your day-to-day? Yeah, so... Day to day, I'd almost describe as week to week or month to month because every day is completely different. But a lot of the technologies we look at are things that will help the retail industry adapt in the age of Amazon. Some concepts too, like neighborhood goods, which brings digitally native brands back in store. And so I think when you look at a venture capital firm, you can break it down into three different parts, right? Sourcing, Once you source, take the deal through the diligence process and investing. So then you have post-investment support and then finally fundraising. And so my day usually looks like some combination of those three activities. My favorite is probably working with the actual portfolio companies once we invest. And so a day could really be, you know, talking to someone from like Shopify or BigCommerce to get a good pulse on the industry, look at the technology they're trying to look at, you know, I'll send it their way get a pulse also from where they're headed, 
talk to one or two entrepreneurs, get an update on how they're doing and see where we can plug in and be helpful. Um, respond to about 80 million emails at some point at the end of the day. And in between have different meetings with like different people. We like to engage as strategic advisors in our fund, different potential LPs and things of that nature. Then have like a mini fiesta with the team at some point. So have some fun traditions at Rough Tech. But I would say that's typical day is a mix of some of those activities. Love that. And and I know in terms of the Rev Tech portfolio, there are retail brands and great, you know, disruptive models, like you brought up neighborhood goods, but then you also um, invest in tech companies too. And I think in both areas, there has been such great innovation, even over the past year where, you know, the headlines reek of negativity and volatility. I, I still believe that there have been so many great pockets of innovation and progress during these times. So, I mean, for you or RevTech as a whole, I mean, what are you kind of looking for now in terms of the companies that you're investing in? Has it, have there been any shifts or are there any, I guess, guiding principles or commonalities in, in terms of maybe the size, the focus, the even the age of the company? Like, are there certain targets that you really try to zero in on from, from an investment standpoint? Yeah, so I can start with targets and then go into the more thematic fun stuff. So... Targets typically our sweet spot is usually like ideally first investor in. We love to be the first institutional backing a company, whether that's right after their friends and family round in their pre-seed or sometimes it's a little bit earlier. But we really look for things in five different categories. It's also all on our website for anyone that's super curious. But those being one, we like to see customer validation so we don't invest pre-product. We like to actually see either a first pilot underway where we can see the product actually working and talk to the customer and see their interaction with it or a few customers under their belt. One of those two options. Two, it has to be solving a major pain point in the retail industry. We only do retail. I love retail. I breathe retail. We don't go outside of that. We're very disciplined about our thesis. The third thing would just be from an economic standpoint. We really like capital efficient entrepreneurs, as I'm sure everyone else does, but we really look at how does their financing plan look? Is it something where it's going to take, it's not going to take an aggressively high burn rate of capital to get to a certain certain valuation or something like that? So we like to see really scrappy collaborative entrepreneurs. The fourth thing being we like to see relevant domain expertise and their area that they're solving for. So for instance, um, I know Ben from, who's one of the founders of Singuli, which is an inventory forecasting company uh, to prevent stockouts. You know, he faced a problem at one of his previous companies. And so he built a solution to solve it. And so he's very close to the problem and can speak directly into that and to customers as well. And so I think that really helps us know that they understand the market very well and have complementary expertise. And then finally, we want to be able to help. If we can't be helpful, then we aren't one of those firms that just like to be a check. It's really fun to get to work with entrepreneurs. I think a lot of them are like my family. And so because of that, we want to be able to really help take them to the next level, whether that's helping them find their next lead or, you know, we've literally helped companies pivot their entire business model before. There's a wide swath of things that we do. So 
those are the five different components that we look at in terms of more of on the thematic side. I think some models that are really interesting right now, ultra niche marketplaces, I think we're seeing an emergence of those. So anything from homegrown like diamonds that are, well, I guess lab grown diamonds, very fascinating and things that are accessible, but more like quote, sustainable. Um, so for going the blood diamond route, so sustainability is a huge issue. So a lot of tech that enables sustainability, a previous investment we made earlier in the year was called Topol, which is like a, it enables supply chain transparency using blockchain uh, and looking forward. I think anything that's going to help Retailers either reduce waste or more practical application last mile. I think that's a funding category that it was the biggest funding category for retail in both 2019 and 2020. And you're just seeing that first wave of, of last mile moving forward. And like they're now in their series B, series C. And so now it's time for like version two. That's like an upgraded version of all of those companies to emerge. And so that's where we're getting in right now and looking. So like return visibility is another huge area that we're looking at as well. So those are a few things that we're looking at. Always, uh, there are a few other fun things as well I could go on, but you know, to spare you, I'll stop there. (laughs) Well, and I think there's something to be said about, you know, you noted that you have this laser focus on the retail market. You live retail, you breathe retail, and that's what you all try to focus on from an investment standpoint. And I think there's power in that because it allows you to dig really deep into the issues and the trends that are most relevant to the marketplace. Because like you said, it's so fast changing, it's so fast moving. So you're able to keep a keen eye and, and determine you know, which companies are driving the most significant change or, or are doing the most innovative things in particular categories. So I think that approach really shines through, I think, in the work that RevTech is doing in the companies that that you're partnering with. And I know that a personal passion for you is helping women achieve personal and, and professional growth and receive funding. I've been keeping a close eye on that particular area of things. And it's still such a big gap between women-run companies and them getting the funding and support that's needed for them to scale efficiently and effectively. And I know last year, RevTech Ventures partnered with Equity at work to launch a female-led, female-focused seed fund that you're leading, which is very exciting. So I would love for you to kind of dig into the mission and thought process behind this. I mean, was that gap something that that you were very in tune with, you know, just given your expertise and, and the companies that you've partnered with and have helped over your time at RevTech or what, what really drove this initiative for you? I think what really drove the initiative was just a personal passion of mine through personal experience. When I started in the working world, I had a woman that took me under her wing and really mentored me. And she was really the game changer in my professional success. And I think her really tactically through feedback, but also just from an encouraged standpoint, helped me navigate some of the things you face as a female was just life-changing. And so I, I just realized if I can have that impact on other entrepreneurs, it can be really meaningful. And so I think you just bring a different 
dimension too as a female um, in the venture industry, just because there's a lot less of us. And so I think it's a great time to be a woman. But I also know that, you know, fortunately, I get to see a different problem set that David, my counterpart, sees. And he can see really great problems that I'm not going to see. But on the flip side, there's some problems in retail that I uniquely face as a woman. And when you look at where the market's headed, I mean, women are have the share of wallet now. So I think they're positioned within the next decade to be like the major decision maker, like in terms of spending in the household, like particularly with retail goods. And so I think that's always quite frankly been the case, but I think studies are just now coming to show that. And so because of that, there's a huge market opportunity because when you're looking at a space where women entrepreneurs are traditionally very, very underfunded, what that tells me is, wow, there's a lot of problems that haven't been solved yet. And I think when VCs see problems, they also see financial opportunities. And so those things pair nicely. And so what we really saw, one, I love working with women entrepreneurs. I love coaching them. It's really fun. It's fun rolling up my sleeves with them and being like the first check that believes in them. But at the same time, I mean, it's also a really great return strategy because there aren't as many people looking at this space and with us kind of raising our hand and saying like, We're really like doubling down here and putting our money where our mouth is in terms of like from a returns perspective, I think that kind of wrote it home. So those were two of the main things that that really drove us to start this fund. That's great. And you made note of those underlying issues that are inhibiting or stalling progress in the way of, you know, women-run businesses getting the appropriate VC funding or more traction in the VC world. I mean, in your work, have you been able to uncover any of those known or unknown issues? I mean, sometimes I, I wonder whether it's a pipeline issue or whether that, you know, there are companies that aren't as intentional with with their partnerships and the, and the companies that they fund. I mean, I'm not quite sure if there is an answer, but I'm, I'm curious if you've kind of uncovered anything like as you've kind of built out this fund, as you've had more conversations with women entrepreneurs, what those underlying issues are and, and how can they can be addressed? Yeah, I think it's a very complex problem. So there's probably a hundred things, but I'll just speak to a few things just from personal experience of what I've seen. And so One, just being, you know, a lot of it also is what the diversity makeup is on the other side of the table. And so, like I said, being a female, I've been able to see things that some of the other people on my team haven't been able to see. And that's just because I have a different viewpoint. Um, I can think of one technology where, you know, initially the deal had been a pass because they didn't even see the problem. And it wasn't by no means was it like intentional, like discrimination or anything like that based on gender. But quite frankly, it was just, I don't see the problem. I don't see why this technology exists. Whereas, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, no, I need this in my life. This is something I've been wanting my entire life. And so once I, you know, explained it to them and showed like all this stuff, they're thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. That is really big opportunity. And so my point there is if you don't have people on the other side of the table that understand the problem, you're not going to have people that are investing in that issue. And so part of it is like a lot of times entrepreneurs solve problems that are close 
to themselves or from problems they've experienced themselves. And so a woman solving a problem in retail, there's a high chance that a woman on the other side of the table may be more likely to recognize that. And so I think one increasing representation on on our side of the table is important. And that's why mentorship is very important to me. I think the second thing that's uh, important to take note of is women traditionally do pursue more lifestyle type businesses when you look at just the proportions and especially being in retail, it's a lot harder. It's not like, look, you have incredible VC funds that do it all the time, like Forerunner that backs brands and things like that. But it's a lot trickier, I think, sometimes to invest in a brand than a B2B SaaS company because the B2B SaaS company, it's guaranteed paid in point. And if you solve it and it's a hair on fire issue, like I'm not saying it's guaranteed revenue, but it's a little bit more de-risked. Whereas when you have a consumer brand, right, consumer preferences change all the time. So that entrepreneur has to be so close to the customer. There's, they have to be really creative because there are a lot of things that are out of their control with consumer preferences changing with Amazon, like trying to eat up every single business. And then you have Thrasio and you have all these different types of companies. And so because you're seeing like a higher proportion of women really start these brands, that's also driving the difficulty in getting VC funding as well. I think that's the second thing. The third thing is just having like mentors to look up to, right? Like there's the whole thing of sometimes we mentor people that we look like and if there's no one that looks like you, it's harder to get in. And so I think just generally with a smaller percentage of women in the industry, like women VC-backed entrepreneurs, I think it's it's harder to find people that are willing to, you know, that are willing and able to invest in you deeply just because there's a smaller pool. And so on the positive side, I have found that the female community is very tight knit because there are less. And so I'm, I honestly think it's a great time to be a woman and it's a great time to fund uh, female focused companies for sure. And progress is being made. But I think those are just some of the headwinds I've personally seen and experienced. And a lot of them aren't necessarily intentional, but it's just acknowledging it and then being proactive about fishing in the right ponds, fishing in ponds where if you're a guy like fishing in ponds, where are all the female entrepreneurs? Like, how do I know them instead of going just through your natural network? So I think those are some of the things that I've seen. Yeah, lots of great points. And I think they all kind of ladder up to this need to be more intentional, put some more time and thought into that networking side of things. Like you don't know what you don't know almost. And if you are looking for companies that revolve solely around your lifestyle or, you know, the pain points that you experience, or you tap into communities that only you know, I mean, those biases are are bound to exist and and permeate. So I think those are some great points. And this kind of ties to my my follow-up question for you in that obviously there's a big VC fund gap for women in general, but women of color make up an even smaller portion of that pool. So, I mean, what are you doing? What is the fund doing to kind of expand this community out, kind of tap into that greater need for for diversity, right? Because we're, we're seeing more retailers, you know, take the 15% pledge, you know, they're trying to build these partnerships or provide funding support or even um, brand support to some of these up and coming brands. So, I mean, where is your head at in terms of building out that pipeline, so to speak, in the entrepreneurial world? Yeah. So I think one thing about RevTech is we always like to invest in, in the best person and 
so we've been really focused mainly on just keeping a very large pool and being proactive about that pool for the same reason like I would feel terrible if if David had initially hired me because I was a female I want him to hire me because I'm good and I never want an entrepreneur to have an experience that oh we invested in you because you're xyz and so I think because of that philosophy we've taken even before all of these movements happened our portfolio was naturally diverse I think in the past year you know we're a company that makes about five investments per year, you know, two of our investments had been, one was in a um, Pearson from Press Roots, which is a dry bar concept for, for women with textured hair, a black female, and then Ben, black male, uh, founder of Singuli. And so we didn't invest in them because, because of a certain demographic, but we just saw a really great market opportunity. Um, like for instance, with Pearson, women with textured hair, which are primarily black women, they spend nine times more on their hair than people with my hair. And so, but at the same time, there's no like trusted franchise serving their needs. And so it's a massive market opportunity. And so I think it's just being, for us, it's a little bit less of we're going to like put this proportion in and it's more like we're going to be proactive about fishing in the right pool. So I have angel networks that I'm a part of. Or different like um, VCs that are like exclusively black VCs that we talk to, right? To get a diversified deal flow because that's going to get the best the best returns. And so I think like I think when you have that kind of mindset, it naturally fosters more diverse portfolio. Which for us, I think like I need to go check, but I want to say we're at that, if not beyond that, fifteen percent metric just through this strategy. So that's kind of how, how RevTech thinks about things. That's great. Very insightful. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsor. Here's the question. What's the biggest challenge with retail customer experience? Is it personalization, silo data, disparate channels, maybe all those and more? Well, if you want to wow customers, Acquire may be just the answer. As a conversational customer engagement platform, Acquire helps innovative retailers strike better conversations across channels and build efficient processes, all with customers in mind. Level up your CX today. Visit www.acquire.io. We've brought up the need for mentorship and community quite a few times in our conversation, which I personally really appreciate because I know that when I started at Retail Touchpoints, I was very much out of my element, you know, fresh out of college, wasn't, wasn't really involved in retail. So I really had to get immersed in the market. And it was those, it was that network, those connections that really helped me fully understand, understand the scope of the industry and all the great opportunities and the intersection of tech and marketing. So, I mean, what role does mentorship kind of play in terms of added value of joining this community, right? I mean, like what other forms of value is provided like when people join the fund and, and get support from you? I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to gauge, you know, the, the long tail impact of these partnerships that, and the long tail opportunity that comes, you know, once, once the investment happens. Yeah, for sure. So, and just clarify, so you're just asking like how we typically help a portfolio company, correct? Yep, exactly. So the core really is um, mentorship. And I think that's what really moves the needle. And I'll talk about the other things. But one, we have mentors and advisors that are what we call recovering retailers. And so it's retailers that have really hit 
the highest point they could probably go in their careers and then really are at a place where they want to give back. And so former CEO of Neiman Marcus, co-founder of Fossil, people of that nature that we get involved. And so we'll couple them with our management teams to help our portfolio companies grow and scale. And I think when you have that kind of wisdom paired with the energy of, of these new entrepreneurs that may be a little bit earlier in their careers, a lot of magic can happen. One impact being like, for instance, Excel Robotics, we help them completely pivot their business model. And so they're like an Amazon Go for the non-Amazons of the world. Um, and that was when they were just starting out. And so I think that's how we really think about impact in that area, aside from my personal relationships with the entrepreneurs and Davids and Locks. And then I think like outside of that, it's like finding a lead for their next round, which I just did with one of our portfolio companies. You know, I think when RevTech invests in a company because of our retail expertise, it's kind of like a mark of certification that this is a very legit company. And so VCs trust us. And I often get a lot of general VCs will come reach out to me for my opinion on XYZ company in this space. Because when you see, I think we've seen over 94% of deals in our space within our thesis this year. And so because of that, that gives us a really great pulse on the market. And so they know when they ask us, like, we know what we're talking about. And so when our name's on a company, the venture funds that we have relationships really take note. So I think that's the second thing. And then third thing is like those traditional portfolio services that everyone has um, in terms of added support. And then finally, really just, you know, helping with customer introductions, um, partnership introductions, like having a lawyer that's a really great expert in the retail space and the VC space um, and just having those unique relationships with people that only like someone kind of at that epicenter of retail technology and venture would have, which those worlds don't naturally always intersect. Um, and so you have great PR firms like Kettner Group that literally does PR for retail tech venture-backed companies. They also do other too, but that's really where their bread and butter has been. And so it's things like that, that we're really able to kind of shepherd those companies into that world and help them out in that way as well. Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, obviously it is a interesting time for the retail industry. Like I noted earlier, a lot of disruption, but also a lot of opportunity. I mean, looking at RevTech's areas of focus, you spoke a little bit about, you know, opportunity in last mile, sustainability as, as two areas that you all are focusing on. But is there anything else, you know, whether for RevTech as a whole or, or for your new funds that you're really trying to focus on professionally or even personal? I mean, as, as we kind of continue through the year and continue to track all of the change that's happening in the industry. Is there anything that you're you're personally focusing on? So I'll do like a, a more serious one and, and a fun one. So more serious note, I think you're seeing a huge shift to headless. And so e-commerce platforms like Shopify and Big Commerce are built on this huge monolithic architecture. And so front end here and back end are really tightly coupled together. And then you have this huge codependency on each other. And so now you're seeing these new headless, 
like systems where you're completely decoupling the back end from the front end. And so then merchants can really create these personalized experiences. And so I think those are systems that we're looking at that are really special. I mean, you have, so that's one of them. I think from a personal perspective, I'm really passionate about professional development of women. And so I think With that, one huge area in retail that's been overlooked is really helping equip populations that tend to be lower income and like will be on positions like entry level, you know, sales associates or things like that. And so platforms that really help upskill them are something that I'm really interested in, coupled with social and emotional learning, I think is a personal interest of mine. And so when you're an industry as sales focused and sales driven as retail, with new ways to completely um, sell through e-commerce and just really the merging of all of these channels. I think it's really fun when you when you figure out how do you upskill that human element because humans are here to stay. It's just how they're like applied. And so because it now requires that higher level of thinking, I think it's really fun to see how technology is going to continue to push people to really be the best version of themselves. Or I guess enable is a better word. I think it's up to the person, but it's really fun what you can do at scale. Excellent, Rachel. This has been such a fascinating conversation. You're actually our first guest from the VC world. So hopefully that'll change soon, but it was really really interesting to hear how you kind of dissect the trends, what you're focusing on, and most of all, how RevTech is kind of assessing the marketplace and looking for those new opportunities, building those partnerships. It's, It's just really interesting to see how all of the players come together, right? And and ultimately drive the industry forward, which I think is super exciting. So thank you again so much uh, for taking the time out to uh, chat with me today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's it's been a blast and uh, honored to be the first VC on the podcast. (laughs) So let's start a trend. Yeah, absolutely. You heard it here, folks. Um, Well, before I let you go, I'm going to kind of throw this in as a last tidbit for all of our listeners, because a lot of them are retail executives. Maybe they're looking for funding. Maybe they're not. I don't don't know. It could vary. But they're always looking for expert insights and perspectives on like what they should be focusing on moving forward. And I know we've kind of sprinkled in some trends throughout our conversation today. But if there was kind of one trend to watch or potentially dig into, into, you know, if you were a retail executive, right? I mean, what would that be? And why would that be? I mean, just to give so, give the folks something to noodle on when we go. Yeah, I would say post-purchase support. So building loyalty with seamless support and fulfillment is very critical right now. I think with everything, I feel like recently, like pre-COVID was focused on customer acquisition, customer acquisition, da 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 But as you're seeing companies like Amazon really grow in power, One of the biggest differentiators a retailer can play to retain their customers is that personal relationship they have with the brand. And that's primarily driven and and enabled through loyalty and what happens not after you make that first sale, but what happens after that and that post-purchase journey and like the fulfillment journey. And so I think that's really critical because the bar is high. You have to fulfill things very quickly. Shipping needs to be prompt. Customer service needs to be very like top notch. And so I think like analytics platforms that helps you understand and make changes to that post-purchase journey is very critical. So I think like, you know, some examples would be Gorgeous or Flow Space or Bring. I think those are some companies that we've seen and we've really liked um, 
to really help enable, you know, very lean retail teams to provide like services at scale. So I think those are happy to elaborate on on any of those. One we're really bullish on right now is Return Logic um, and that post-purchase journey, really like the founder there. And so I would say post-purchase is, is very critical right now, especially in, in enabling fast returns and, and really mitigating all of the chaos that can happen when yeah. <laughs> after a customer orders a product. So. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see the focus pivot to that post-purchase experience. So love that answer. A great way to uh, finish the conversation, especially with um, everyone talking about the shift to digital and using digital as an acquisition tool. Um, it's, it's, it's a nice change of pace. So thanks again, Rachel, so much for uh, taking the time out. And thanks again to all of you for joining us for this conversation. As you may or may not know, this is a weekly podcast. Um, so we encourage you to subscribe so you can get new episodes directly to your preferred podcast player as soon as they're available. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, probably anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there. So please subscribe. And if you like what you hear, drop us a review. We want to make sure that these conversations are relevant, compelling, and um, helpful for your day-to-day. So let us know how we're doing. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.